Welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, writer and editor at Sharp Football Analysis. I am joined here, as always, by Rich Rebar, our fantasy writer at Sharp Football Analysis. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, doing real good. Here we are now mid-June. You know, it's, it's, it's almost, we're, we're going to be summer officially pretty soon. And, you know, hopefully we all get to have a, a real good summer, you know, in the, in the summer month. Uh, re- summer months really, you know, uh, pick up the slack for the first six months of the of the year you know it sounds like the football season's looking real promising and we might get some training camps in like a month too so there's positive news out there you know in the football world there is football on the horizon which is exciting to hear uh that was something we were not sure what was going if that was going to happen uh, but it kind of looks like not even a delayed season. It might be on time, which is just super exciting. And for, for us, you, you know, cover football for our jobs. That's very nice to see. <laughs> and I'm sure it's nice for a lot of you who are listening, because if you're listening to this podcast, you enjoy football in, in some way. And I'm sure you're excited for it to come back. So on today's episode, we are going to be looking at some, um, uh, Risers and fallers in ADP. This is mostly for best ball leagues because that's what's drafting right now. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, the ADP from uh, my fantasy league and FFPC. Um, see some guys over the past two weeks, some situations that have happened, whether these guys are getting hype on social media, just some uh, coach speak that we might uh, see has impacted some ADP. There's a ton of reasons why guys could rise and fall this early in the offseason. We're going to go over a couple of those guys. Uh, Rich has been writing about those guys. Um, there is uh, a ADP risers uh, post on the site right now. By the time you listen to this, there will be an ADP fallers for June post on the site also, so you can read both of those. And while you do that, we're just going to go through just kind of an, an audio version of those posts. So let's start with kind of the, the social media darling, I think, of of the past you know couple weeks. And that is Pittsburgh's uh, Deontay Johnson, one of the biggest risers here in ADP uh, recently. Um, he's one of these like year two guys that we kind of think is going to break out the Steelers passing game, going to get Ben Roethlisberger back. And I think with that, with Ben back, are are we, should we be buying into Johnson and maybe should we be buying into this Steelers offense just overall? I think definitely the, the, the way to attack Pittsburgh is to buy a bounce back on that passing game. And, you know, look at last year with Mason Rudolph and Devlin Hodges kind of pressed into action. The Steelers were last in the NFL in success rate through the air at just 39%. Uh, They were just 28th in yards per pass play, and they went from 313 passing yards per game as a team down to 186.3 passing yards per game. It was the largest single-season decline uh, from the season prior in NFL history in terms of passing yards. Now, Ben is going to be back. He's going to be 38 years old, and he's coming off of an elbow surgery, uh, but he's got clear improvement over what they pushed out behind center a year ago based on some of those numbers I just dropped for you so I mean I, I like Ben I think that he's even interesting too as like a late round quarterback to target or like one of those middle middle guys like when the first wave of guys clears out you, you got that young pass catching nucleus that we're going to kind of hit on he's got our number two easiest projected passing efficiency schedule for the full season and our third easiest schedule in the same department over the first month of the season so if you're looking at that first month of the season he's got a positive start as well 
Uh, I think Deontay Johnson is interesting. I'm going to be curious to see what you – because I know you wrote about uh, some of those second-year guys or when they were rookies during the season. I know you did a Terry McLaurin kind of study. And Deontay Johnson was kind of in that similar ilk where he was just creating a lot of separation, you know, per route, uh, wasn't getting efficient targets because of the quarterback play, was getting open regularly. And he actually led all rookie receivers with 59 catches. And when you look at him, he kind of fits that mold. When you look at his, his height and size – and his special teams ability, he kind of fits that mold of some of those guys the Steelers have had success with in the past. You know, Antonio Browns, Antonio Holmes, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. He, he kind of has the archetype of those similar guys that have had a lot of success, whereas Juju's kind of more of a bigger body. And I actually like what Deontay Johnson, his ascension, and then James Washington, how he played within the year, does for Juju because Juju gets to play more of a na- his natural position when he played the first two years of his career. And that's that big slot role. We were kind of worried about last year what's going to happen with Juju when he's got to play outside of the boundary against number one corners. But he, he still ran 66.3% of his routes in the slot because of those two guys, those two young guys. Now his season was – was just completely nuked because of the quarterback play. He played through a foot injury. He played through a knee injury. He uh, had a concussion in season. Uh, but Juju Smith-Schuster doesn't even turn 24 years old until this November, uh, and he's only 683 yards away from having the most receiving yards prior to turning age 24 in league history. Uh, so he's one of the most precocious wide receivers that we've ever had, you know, enter the league. And, you know, some of that's era-induced, but, uh, you know, his his – price tag has fallen off and he was a guy that cost you a top 10 wide receiver pick last year and now he's going around in the fourth round so he's a value and then also I think that you can't forget about James Washington especially in these best ball formats where he's going around wide receiver you know pick 60 uh, he actually led the Steelers in receiving yardage last year and when you look at the Steelers they've they've passed a above league rate out of 11 personnel the past two seasons uh, so you're getting you know a big play guy in James Washington uh, you know, as the cheapest piece. You know, I say sometimes with the Patriots backfield or somebody say, buy the cheapest piece. And that's kind of where James Washington's roll in. But uh, I am back in and buying the Steelers' passing game uh, as it comes for 2020. Yeah, and we can just start there. I was going to say, I think as this Deontay Johnson stuff has been going on, I think we've kind of been overlooking James Washington, who was you know, really good or as good as a receiver could have been in that the Pittsburgh offense last year. Uh, 33% of, um, of Pittsburgh's air yards. Um, and he was a guy who was able to, to get down the field. Um, he had uh, of 28 wide receivers who had uh, at least 20 targets of 20 or more yards down the field. Um, he was just 21st in the um, a rate of targets that were considered catchable. Uh, and on the catchable passes, he, he did quite well. So if we see how he's going to continue to uh, get a little better, um, I think that might open up with the offense a little more. And Deontay Johnson is going to be uh, interesting in this offense because last year he was very much kind of the, the short Um, the short intermediate guy, when you look at his targets, 45 of his targets came within between one and 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. There were 31 receptions, um, 123 air yards, 144 yards after the catch. So he was, he was very much the catch and run type of guy there. And that kind of worked out for what that offense needed. Um, They were not hitting those downfield passes at, at a high rate. So they were not asking their good receivers to run down the field. That was the James Washington role. Um, Deontay Johnson was a little you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. Those aren't always huge, um, you know, huge scoring plays uh, for fantasy, but he, 
ended up being a decent volume guy. I think that might continue because in 2018, even Ben Roethlisberger, he led the league in, in passing attempts um, in 2018, his last healthy season. He had 675 attempts. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that again in 2020. So I think they have to be a little more efficient with that volume. Uh, so I, th- I think the passing offense is definitely going to be better. I think it's just going to be interesting. And we might need to keep a closer eye on how that offense looks like it's going to evolve with Roethlisberger back. So if we stick with, with this Steelers offense, uh, one other guy who's been getting hype, and not so much from social media, but from uh, Mike Tomlin, uh, was James Conner. Uh, Tomlin suggested uh, Conner's going to be uh, the future back. He's kind of sitting in that you know, RB2, RB2 range. Is, is he maybe one of the best uh, values if, if you miss out on one of those uh, higher tier RB1s or even the, the top tier, the RB2? Connor is is pretty interesting from a couple of angles. I mean, obviously he had the you know he had the big 2018 season with just under 1500 yards from scrimmage and missed some time. And then last year, kind of he had another injury filled you know season as well. You know their running back depth was actually exposed last year too. You know when they had to play Jalen Samuels, Benny Snell, and even Trey Edmonds. Uh, those guys only had a little over four yards per touch combined, where Connor had was at 4.8 yards per touch. So he he dropped you know from that. 2018 efficiency that he had uh but you know he was still a little bit productive and for fantasy he was the rb18 in points per game so you know even in a dire situation he was producing you know kind of we're on right around where he's going so there's definitely some upside still for him even the addition of anthony mcfarland i think he's more of a going to be an initially a change of pace guy you know he's a guy that likes to try to hit some home runs somebody get him some trouble earlier but he kind of is the the best of both of their backups, you know, kind of mix up. He's a better runner than uh, Benny Snell, but he's a, a better runner than Jalen Samuels and a better pass catcher than Benny Snell. So he might be able to just kind of get that role for himself eventually, but I think it'll take a few weeks. Uh, but, you know, I kind of question, you know, where the Steelers are in terms of a run game now. Uh, you know, last year they were dead last in the NFL and expected points added via their rushing game. They were just 29th in success rate. Uh, football Outsiders had them 30th in adjusted line yards created. And James Conner himself was 39th in the NFL in yards before contact per carry out of 47 qualifying backs. Benny Snell was dead last. The difference is that only 13.8% of Conner's carries came against uh, eight plus men in the box, where Benny Snell was just under 40%, which was the second highest rate in the league. Uh, I think, you you know, you obviously have the Ramon Foster, you know, retirement, but Marquise Pouncey, um, Villanueva, and um, I'm losing my... My other uh, linemen, they're the other good linemen. Uh, but they're all over 30. They're all over 30 and push it. So this the offensive line that was kind of like a stalwart and cornerstone of this team really kind of didn't play well either last year. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if they bounce back and can, you know, help Connor get some efficiency back. But I do think out of those guys, I think like out of the Todd Gurley, like Connor, like Chris Carson, Le'Veon Bell, like which one of these guys do you like really believe in? I would probably have Connor second of those guys, uh, you know, after Gurley and having some kind of faith in and really Gurley just because I, I believe in the offense a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Con- Connor's right on that cusp of, you know, he, he priced where he was last year. So there's definitely upside if this offense improves as a whole. Yeah, we'll see. And if Tomlin is going to say he's the bell cow back, we don't really have a reason to not believe him at this point. So that's something we can roll with. I think if you know, maybe we were running the Steelers, there would probably be a little more running back by committee there just because 
uh, that makes a little more sense a uh, real football wise. But if, if Tomlin wants to do that, then, you know, that's something the Steelers have, have done for uh, quite a bit. And I think when, when we talk about how the Steelers kind of handled that run game last year, um, they, they weren't really helping out while um, the, into white boxes on early downs. So just 22.8% of the Steelers' early down runs on first and second down were into white boxes. So that's six or fewer uh, defenders in the box. And that was the fifth fewest in the league. Um, so they weren't super stacked, but they also weren't giving their running backs an advantage. Um, and when we look at how that passing offense was, it, what they could have done more was, was spread out a little more and given the running backs a little more room to breathe. Uh, and that just wasn't the case last year. So maybe they'll do that a little more now that they think that passing game is better. They might spread out and that might help the run game uh, a little more. And I think that's kind of how we think of the run game. Now you, you spread, spread to run. And that's, I think that passing game being improved, it could help. Uh, the Steelers, uh, just in terms of, of helping out that offensive line, helping out the stack boxes, and helping out possibly some more production on the ground. David DeCastro is the dude I was thinking about. I blew it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's that was a Steelers offensive line that had been good for, for quite a while. It hit a bit of a rough patch of last year. I mean, DeCastro is still one of the better guards in the league. Uh, they have some injuries at center, have some injuries across the line, and and so uh, we'll, we'll just see that that offense as a whole just kind of just it, it didn't click last year. There were a lot of reasons for that. Uh, there's reasons we think it's going to be better this year. How much better? We're not sure. But if you're if you're able to get a discount on one of the few backs that might be the lead back for a vast majority of touches in a backfield. That is absolutely a valuable thing to have right now. Um, so let's move to wide receivers. Uh, a couple of younger guys, two guys who have seen um, their their stocks rise a little bit in ADP. Anthony Miller of the Chicago Bears, Paris Campbell of the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Rich, do you have a, a preference between the two of who you would like to target or who you think might is more likely to break out uh, in 2020? Out of these two, I, I do like Anthony Miller, the, the, the better of the two, just because, you know, he's kind of shown already signs of life, you know, his first two seasons. You know, his first season he scored the seven touchdowns that actually led the team as a rookie. Uh, now that that he outkicked his coverage massively in terms of his expected touchdown rate, and it kind of came back down to earth last year. We always see that happen, man. Like, regression always just seems to work. Like, it's not like a guy loses a couple touchdowns. That like It's like the Mike Williams thing where like, you just get, like, you can't score again and you're waiting for him to score. That's kind of what happened to Anthony Miller uh, only with the two touchdowns but after Taylor Gabriel got hurt last year you know, he kind of went on like a little bit of a run towards the end of the season uh, over the final seven games he caught 35 and 55 targets um, on 19 percent of the team targets they the Bears did add Ted Ginn to kind of be a direct replacement to Taylor Gabriel but I mean I would still think that you know his end of season usage could still you know kind of it could definitely roll over so even with Ted Ginn being there uh, the only thing is this, it's just this Bears passing game how many guys is it really going to support and be viable week to week? Even during Miller's hot run, he had games with four targets, two targets, one target, you know, towards the end of the season. Um, in this quarterback, you know, situation, you know, I had a tweet earlier about the, you know, the passing chart between Nick Foles and, you know, Mitchell Trubisky and, you know, how I deemed it slappers only just because these guys are just, they were just so below league rate. 
Uh, it's, you know, there's just going to be still some volatility there attached to that offense. Now they have to price in, you know, where Anthony Miller is going. You're getting him as the wide receiver five, wide receiver six in some cases in these leagues, which is completely, you know, fine. I think some value there. Paris Campbell, I think is going to be, yeah, he's just going to be one of those guys like you don't want to do the cliche in a best ball, but like he's going to definitely a guy that's going to have weeks where are going to be pretty lean because there's going to be games. You look at the Colts schedule, which turned out to be one of the easiest in the league. There's going to be times where the Colts are really grounded and pounding teams and they're using Jonathan Taylor and Milo Mack uh, to really beat up some of these teams if they get a lead on them. Plus we just don't know what Phillip Rivers has left. I mean, Phillip Rivers was a guy that, I mean, you, you can make a real strong argument that he might actually be washed compared to where he was in terms of league's rate and completion, depth of target, uh, fantasy performance against expected schedule. Uh, he's, he definitely still shows a little better than J- Jacoby Brissett, so there's an upgrade there. But just what does he have left, and are they really going to lean on him in a passing game? And he came from a situation that was good I, in terms of, you know, poor fantasy and getting guys the ball. You know, he had Keenan Alley, he had Mike Williams, he had Hunter Henry, he had Austin Eckler, he had Melvin Gordon. Now what's he going to do with seeing these pieces that are arguably – across the board downgrades from all of those players outside of, you know, offensive line. And then we're also going to just see Campbell kind of get kind of like, see, we're going to see where like the target fallout lies. Uh, there's probably any games where Jack Doyle is targeted more than him. Uh, you know, Michael Pittman will probably have games where he's targeted more than him, how it falls after T.Y. Hill. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how it falls, but he's a guy that has that versatility. He plays and gets his targets in the area of field that I believe, you know, Philip Rivers is best suited for at this stage of career. Those anticipatory throws, anticipatory throws, getting the ball, you know, quick hitters to the line of scrimmage. Uh, they can use him in a way similar to how we always talk about, you know, which running back is Philip Rivers going to elevate. That could be just Paris Campbell and the types of targets he gets here uh, in this offense. So, I mean, there'll be some volatility in terms of how much 11 personnel they're going to run and are they, you know, beating up on teams, you know, with the run at the end of the games. But uh, he's a guy that definitely, you know, fits that mold of like year two discount, did it kind of like a bad taste in people's mouths from year one, but, you know, is now going below Michael Pittman, you know, because people like to buy that new, new. Yeah. You know, Paris Campbell is just someone, it's so interesting just how he might fit uh, into that offense. Someone I, I wasn't super high on like, coming out of college. He was a guy that had, you know, a high yards per route run figure, but uh, that was kind of just because of how efficient that Ohio state offense was. He had 3.5 yards per route run uh, his final year in college. Um, but he didn't really add a lot to that offense. Uh, he wasn't running deep. He was kind of a, a slot only guy. Uh, he had a 4.5 average depth of target that year 4.5 like that's that's insane um that's like taking one step beyond the line of scrimmage and that's where you're taking your pass um and oh when you look at his his positive play uh race and these are all per uh, sports info solutions in their rookie handbook uh he only had a 31 point 38.1% positive play rate against man coverage. And that was the lowest among their qualified uh, wide receivers that were draft eligible um, the last season. Uh, And that is, that's not good. That's, that's not something you are going to win with often. If you are that bad against man coverage, especially in that Ohio state offense, when you're going against these big 10 corners that usually aren't that great. Um, So when you have something that low and you, his role was, it was just so specific. Uh, this slot guy who ran short routes, um, that was kind of what the Ohio State offense was was built around. And that worked for Ohio State. We saw it didn't quite work in the games he got into. Uh, some injuries played into that. I'm just, I'm not sure that's going to, uh, that's, that's going to translate to what the Colts are going to do. Um, they have, uh, you know, Michael Pittman now, they have, uh, 
T.Y. Hilton, that, those, are, those are two guys that are going to be much better at what they do than I think uh, Paris Campbell is. I just, I can't get on board with uh, whatever his ADP is going to be. Uh, with Anthony Miller, that's a guy that I, I really, I want to like, and I do like, and I want to believe in a breakout. I think I've, I've, one of the first posts I think I wrote for uh, Sharp Football Analysis at uh, the beginning of last season was kind of looking for breakout guys for um, – for 2019 and Anthony Miller was one of them he had some good underlying metrics but it's just he's fighting so much in that Chicago offense I mean you just talk about not just fighting against that touchdown regression what he did he had six targets uh four receptions and four touchdowns inside the 10 in 2018 the four targets one reception one touchdown uh inside the 10 in 2019 so that was that touchdown of regression right there but not only is he fighting bad quarterback play he's also fighting uh Allen Robinson who is really freaking good um and that's not an offense that can often support two good wide receivers and if you look at the target target distribution between those guys uh in the areas of one to ten yards past the line of scrimmage Robinson had 78 targets to Miller's 43 in 11 to 19 yards it was 41 targets for uh, Robinson and just 19 for Miller and 24 deep targets uh, 20 or more air yards for Allen Robinson and just 13 for uh, Anthony Miller it's just this isn't an offense that can really support uh, two guys well for for an entire season uh, not just the offensive structure the quarterback play we don't know if Nick Foles is going to be any better than Mitchell Trubisky uh, who was very rough last season so uh, Anthony Miller is a guy that I really like I'm just not sure if that fantasy hype is going to be able to uh, to, to match up with the actual type of player he is yeah, Mitch, I tweeted that chart out earlier today, and Mitch was actually, he was last in the NFL in yards per attempt from a clean pocket. Uh, it was no good. It was no good. Yeah, it's just, it, you, I, we, we love Anthony Miller, but if you're trying to attach yourself to a guy that's going to be in that range, I think you want to look for a little more upside in the quarterback and the offense, and I just, I just don't think it comes from the Bears right now, uh, no matter who is leading that offense. Um, but let's go to a guy now who uh, might be in one of those offenses that can support uh, more than one wide receiver, an offense that might be pass-heavy, hopefully, um, as we go forward into 2020. So right now, Kenny Galladay being selected as a wide receiver one fantasy drafts, but the Marvin Jones just barely inside the top 40. Jones has seen his ADP rise a little bit. Uh, is Jones the better value here for this uh, Detroit passing offense? I mean, you're only going to have, you know, a couple shots to draft Kenny Galladay. So, I mean, I don't want to say that, like, you know, there's just a supremely better value because, you know, it's, there's a reason why Kenny Galladay is going to – he's on the a higher end of his career apex. He was, you know, second in the NFL in end zone targets. So there's still a lot of upside still for, for Kenny Galladay. But Marvin Jones, I mean, we largely know, you know, what Marvin Jones is. I mean, he's been a top 30 scorer in points per game in uh, each of his past three seasons. He uh, just had a season-high 4.8 receptions per game. And when Matthew Stafford was in the lineup, um, he was really good, along with Kenny Galladay. Um, now, there's going to be some regression there, and probably some regression for both he and Stafford. But Jones caught 42 of 57 targets uh, with six touchdowns. You know, obviously he had that four-touchdown game, and that's kind of, you know, what Marvin Jones is. He has these big spike weeks, and he had what in the eight games played at Stafford. He had three 
wide receiver one scoring weeks and then four weeks also outside of the top 50. So that's why he's real good in these types of formats um, where Kenny Galladay and his consistent end zone targets might bail you out a little bit more uh, than, you know, um, Marvin Jones will on a weekly basis. But, you know, that, that catch rate of 74%, that's way, way out kicking his career mark of just 60% of his targets. Uh, kind of came back down when he played with David Blau and Jeff Driscoll. Um, but Stafford himself, too, like a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm on the Matt Stafford train as well, and we'll, we'll talk about it. But, uh, you know, he was quietly the QB4 in points per game during his eight starts last year and set a career high in 8.6 yards for pass attempt. But he also had our fifth easiest passing schedule while he was uh, in the lineup. Um, he faced the bottom half passing defense in five of his eight starts last year. So it's probably going to be some regression on those career outliers that didn't those numbers that just that we saw later when the schedule got harder and the, the bad quarterbacks played, he would have got, he would have drew some of those defenses and probably had, had a little in season regression last year that we just needed to see. Um, you know, he's also coming up the back injury as well. So we need to see what happens. But I mean, the positive for Stafford though is that first year Daryl Bevel, like there was a big transition to let Stafford loose again downfield. I mean, after he's been an intermediate passer, you know, the years prior, Stafford led the NFL um, with an 11.4 average depth of target. Um, the years prior, he was 36th at 7.1 yards, 8.8 yards, which was 20th, 7.9 yards, which was 31st, 6.9 yards uh, the year before that, which was 37th over the four previous years. So downfield shots, they're going to add, they add DeAndre Swift, maybe opens a little more play action. I mean, that's kind of like where Marv is going to get his looks uh, and his targets. And we know he, like I said, he's got that spike weak mentality. He always has had that where he will drop a, you know, a two touchdown game and sometimes a three and four touchdown game. He's done four touchdowns multiple times down his career. Um, and that's kind of what you want when you're taking a wide receiver in that area. I mean, when you're take, talking about taking a Marvin Jones or a Sterling Shepard, you know, kind of near kind of the same spot. I mean, Marv's going to give you those big splash weeks that you kind of look for. So, I mean, uh, I do think he is a value, especially in the formats where he's going now. And I still think he is even with a little bit of spike uh, in his ADP. Yeah, those Jim Bob Cooter, Matthew Stafford years are just, uh, they're criminal to take Matthew Stafford and be like, you know what you should do is throw short. Um, uh, awful, awful. But that they unleashed him last year. One of the higher depths of target. And if you look at him and Jameis Winston, they basically had the same season except for the turnovers. And uh, Matthew Stafford was like m- less than half uh, of the turnover rate um, of Jameis Winston. They played very similar styles, aggressive down the field uh, with that high depth of target, uh, throwing into tight windows. And they had the type of receivers who could get that. So uh, in plays from a clean pocket last year, this is over the full season, uh, the top five quarterbacks in EPA on throws from a clean pocket were Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, Drew Brees, and Matthew Safford. That's over a full season. Matthew Stafford played eight games. He was fifth in EPA from a clean pocket. That's how much uh, that, that Detroit passing offense was working when they were just airing it out in the beginning of that season last year. And Jones was really someone who, who got hit hard uh, by, by that quarterback change. He had 14 deep targets from weeks one to nine, which were the eight games that Stafford played with the bye in between. That was 10th most in the league. He only had five deep targets uh, from weeks uh, 11 to 15, which were the games he played before he went on IR to end the season. Um, So his role completely changed uh, with the quarterback change. They didn't have both guys running deep all the time. Um, And, and, 
uh, Jones turned into more of, of the inter- short intermediate guy, and he was connecting on those long passes with Stafford. Uh, but still, Marvin Jones, ninth in EPA on those intermediate throws from 11 to 19. Um, and that was on 31 targets, which was just 24th. Um, and he was ninth in EPA. So uh, he was still a great uh, intermediate receiver um and i think he has that that deep upside now when when stafford comes back and i'm i'm super into this detroit um you know, passing offense any any way you can buy low on this detroit passing offense i i absolutely think you should because the potential is there we saw it in the first eight games it might not be that prolific uh but but it doesn't have to be to return on some of the value you're going to be getting especially on someone like a marvin jones yeah, I think that too. If the, if anyone can do like this this Mark Andrews like year two leap, it could be T.J. Hawkinson, kind of in that same offense, like a guy that maybe not is going to run a, a, a ton of pass routes or catch a, like a, a lot of balls that rival the league lead, but like is, has got high touchdown upside uh, and, and show a lot more than he did as a rookie. I think that Hawkinson's definitely one of those guys that could be one of those breakout guys. His his week one to the rest of the season is one of the most confusing things. Like his week one was like, yeah, that's exactly what I saw this guy doing uh, in the NFL. And then he didn't come close to that again for the rest of the season. Uh, but you no, know, we showed just from that first game that, that potential is there. So I think there's a lot of upside in the Lions passing game. Um, whether the Lions as a whole are going to be a good team and that might for fantasy, again, benefit from them from being a bad defense, uh, which it certainly has the potential to be. So there might be more passing just because they have to. So I think there's there are a lot of things to like about the Detroit passing game for fantasy. Um, now let's move on to uh, a couple guys that uh, might have seen their ADP drop a little bit. Let's see if we're, if we're buying into that. And the first guy is Austin Hooper. Um, he's just kind of slowly gone down every time you kind of check ADP. He's just slightly hanging on to being still a tight end one option in a group that doesn't have uh, a lot of, of top tier guys for fantasy. So um, is he still going to be in that range uh, in Cleveland or – is that better to maybe maybe take someone else uh, in that range and let someone else take the gamble on Hooper? I'm actually in a uh, a best ball draft with a lot of people in the industry. You know, Evan Silva, Pat Thorman, Mike Clay, and, yeah, and, and then in this group, Sigmund Bloom and some other guys like JJ Zacharyson. He went tight end 15 in that draft, uh, which I definitely think is too Ooh. that's that's too low. I think as well. Um, but you know, you look at Hooper. I mean, his his usage in per game production has has risen in each of his first four seasons in the NFL. But it's hard to really bank on that happening for like a fifth year. Uh, you know. If we believe Kevin Svance is going to run any type of similar scheme than the one he did with the Vikings last year, I mean, there's they're going to run a lot of 12 personnel, and he's going to be on the field and obviously paid him. But he's going for an Atlanta team that led the NFL in passing plays per game, just under 46. Um, while Minnesota was 31st last year at 30.9. Cleveland was 20th at 36.3. So there's going to be just an inherent probably overall team volume loss that he was attached to. Uh, probably not as much junk script even with, you know, uh, the, you know, Cleveland probably still maybe not be projecting to be a top end team in the league still. Um, but uh, it's just really hard to believe he's going to be able to hang on to like that, that volume. And he's just not a guy that does a lot on his own outside of 
what's predicated on volume. I mean, he's a low A dot receiver. Uh, he's in at the last three years, 6.7 A dot, 6.9, 7.2. Uh, yards per catch have been under 11 yards the past three years. So he's not a guy that's, you know, maximizing the targets he's getting either. He's really, like I said, predicated on that volume, kind of really inflating his fantasy totals and then the position itself he plays. I do think, like I said, following the tight end 15, probably a little bit too low, but I do think that it's going to be tough for him to kind of get back to, you know, the tight end seven overall where he was last year and the tight end four, uh, you know, in points per game, you know, what he was even that in standard formats. He was the tight end four in points per game last year. I just think it's going to be really hard for him to get back there, but uh, tight end 15, probably a little bit too low as well. Yeah. Hooper's just one of those guys that when you're watching him, he doesn't like super excite you uh, at all. Um, and I think that can kind of take a little bit out of the, the excitement of, of drafting him. Um, but he is the guy that has been able to take what he's been able to get. He's been schemed open quite well in Atlanta, especially the, the Kyle Shanahan um, era. And one of the, the high points is you can think he was a guy that you know, Kyle Shanahan looked at and liked. Um, so I, I think that's always a plus uh, for a tight end. Uh, if Kyle Shanahan looks at you and says, yes, I can use you well, uh, I think that's always a plus for, for a tight end. He hasn't always had those highs. He hasn't been able to replicate that. But uh, I think this, this could be a offense that uses the tight end a little more. We might see a little more 12 with him in uh, Nijoku. Uh, that would be nice. And I think he's probably going to be the, the tight end who takes over uh, in 11 uh, when they're spread out a little more. Um, and I think he's going to be on the field still when when they're in the possible you know 21 with with Chubb and Hunt on the field at the same time so I think he's going to be able to get a lot of looks I think he might be able to be a little more versatile than he was in the Falcons offense I think they might be a little more creative with him I think that might open up a little and if you were in this tight end position group that just it doesn't have a lot that gets you excited after the top like maybe three or four guys I think I think he's a great value I think they're they're going to find a way to to get him the ball I, I don't think uh he's going to be super uh faded out in the offense um I, obviously Atlanta's not going to have uh, he's not going to have the the passing volume that Atlanta had like last year um but it, it still is going to be there and and at a position where there's not a lot of value there. I think grabbing a guy who has been good at the pa- in the past and, and can do things well, I don't think he's not great at anything, but he does a lot of things really well. And I, I think that's pre- really all you can look for uh, in a tight end right now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they didn't pay him. they didn't pay him for him not to be the guy in eleven either. So like I would fully expect right. him to definitely be uh, you know, where Njoku's clock is basically run out in his contract year. Yeah, and even when they are in 12 with those two guys, they're both guys who can, uh, you know, present a matchup problem. So I think that it's going to be good. There's going to be some more play action there. I think that's going to help with uh, some of the the production that that he's gotten. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see what what he's going to do in that Cleveland offense, and I'm going to buy him on uh, with his ADP dropping. That that's fine with me. I, I will if I'm I'm picking a tight end in, in that group. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I would still pick a tight end in that group just for you know overall value. But I think if you are doing that, the Cooper it is a good one to pick. Um, so let's move on to our, our last guy, our last follower, and that is Devin Singletary. He's just started to slide a bit. He came on strong uh, the back half of 2019, um, but Zach Moss 
now there, um, we don't really know what the, the Buffalo offense uh, is going to look like. Uh, what, what is your take on Den Singletary and, and how you were feeling about his 2020 outlook? Um, I still feel like what we got the back half of the year, we might not see the overall volume, but I, I think that there's still some positives um, just because of how they used him and, and even adding Zach Moss, you know, to fill kind of that Frank Gore role. I think Gore kind of played himself out from a touch stance towards the end of the year, and then they used him in the playoffs again, uh, you know, heavily when Devin Singletary was actually playing really well in that game, and they were giving Gore so many touches. I don't think Devin Singletary even touched the ball in the overtime of that game. I can't remember, but I remember it was really frustrating. But you talk about hey, that back half of the year, he really turned it on. I mean, last year he had 5.4 yards for touch in just 12 games played. He had just under 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Uh, and he averaged 18.9 touches per game over his final nine games. I do believe that that's probably higher than where they, they would like to have him. Um, but he's a big gain runner. I mean, he finished fourth among all running backs in explosive run rate at 16%. He was sixth among all, all running backs in uh, yards before contact per carry. Um, and we talk about just like, yeah, you know, getting carries in advantageous spots. I mean, just 5.3% of his carries came against, uh, you know, eight or more men in the box. That was the lowest rate in the NFL. So they used him effectively. And I think adding Stefan Diggs, too, they're going to run, you know, probably – uh, more 11 than they ran last year. They weren't a team that ran a lot of 11 personnel last year, but they didn't really have three good wide receivers at any point last year as well. So, I mean, they could do some more of that, and that opens up lanes for him. Now, the only problems for Singletary is that, like, he's probably still have to live off of efficiency, and we talked about some ways he can still generate efficiency based on scheme. But for fantasy, he did lack those, like, surplus of money touches that we want from our backs. Josh Allen has targeted his running backs below the league rate both of his NFL seasons. So as a byproduct last year, Singletary caught two or fewer passes and six of his games played. He had more than three catches just three times. Um, and then as just a 203-pound back, he was froze out of scoring opportunities. He had just two carries uh, inside the five-yard line out of 18 team attempts. Um, you know, Josh on has a little bit of that Cam Newton going to take some of those carries from him. And then you add a 222 pound guy like Zach Moss to compliment, you know, kind of take take, I said, take over that Frank Gore role. Uh, that was a little bit, you know, Singletary could be a guy that has some of these empty calorie fantasy games where he's got, he's highly efficient. He has good yardage, uh, but just doesn't have the requisite prerequisite catches or touchdowns um, that forces him to be like even hype, more hyper efficient for fantasy. Um, so that's what kind of keep, keeps uh, you know him from climbing up and so you know it's kind of moved him down with Zach Moss as a clear goal line threat uh, to kind of take away those touches from him. Yeah, we really have no idea what this the Buffalo rotation is going to be. It's not like Devin Singletary was this, you know, highly drafted guy who now that Frank Gore is gone, we know is going to take over uh, the, the role as the lead back. Singletary was drafted in the third round, and this past year they drafted Zach Moss in the third round. Uh, the same draft capital was used on these guys. It's not like they brought in Zach Moss in like the, the fifth or sixth round uh, to, to join a rotation. Like, so we might see a similar split uh, between Singletary uh, and Moss that we saw between Singletary and Gore last year. And I think one of the interesting things is when you look at Zach Moss, he kind of had you know, some of this 
uh, an ex- kind of explosion of, of pass plays um, of last year where he had 3.5 yards per route run uh, per Sports Info Solutions, which uh, is ridiculous. He only ran 111 routes. Um, that was way above his 0.6 when he was running a lot of checkdowns uh, the, the year prior. So I think Zach Moss has, has some of that big play ability a, a little bit, but he's that, he is that bigger guy that probably might take some of um, those – with those touches away. Um, I think when we talk about TJ Yeldon still on this team uh, somehow, um, and those, those are always carries that might happen and, and might be given to, to him and, and taken away from Singletary and, and Moss. Um, and like you said, the, the Josh Allen running ability is also there. And that's something we, we have to consider. And uh, Josh Allen, not, not a guy who's going to be targeting the, the running backs uh, quite often. We haven't really seen them uh, do that in, in an efficient way. So yeah, the, between the uh, the lack of of clear um, a path for for either a lead back or just not knowing it's it's very much unknown what this offense uh, is going to look like, especially in that ro- running back rotation. Um, yeah, Singletary is is a it's definitely a uh, just you just got to be uh, cautious because. Um, we just don't know, and the guys who are going to be uh, around that that same spot, there there might be a little more upside there, um, and we'll see. But again, that's something that it's something that maybe training camps and I'm not sure how much of the preseason we'll get, but we'll we'll see how much that's a guy definitely to monitor and see how that rotation is going. And I think so much of these guys are going to be that where we don't know right now what these splits are going to be. Uh, that's something we usually see uh, through these um you know, off-season workouts, and we're not getting those right now. We haven't had any, you know, veteran mini camps or anything, so we haven't even gotten a glimpse of that. And uh, I think Singletary is going to be one of those guys most affected for for us and not being able to see where he's going. So that is our last guy. Um, thank you guys for for listening. Uh, you can again read all our work on Sharp Football Analysis. Rich has more intense write-ups of most of these guys and more followers uh, that will be on the website by the time uh, you hear this. There is already uh, an ADP riser uh, article up on the site. We're going to continue doing that. Uh, if you look at the site, you can find that you can already pre-order the 2020 uh, Warren Sharp preview book. Um, Rich and I both doing work on that as well as Warren uh, doing a whole bunch of work to put that together for you. Um, so you can pre-order that book uh, online um, on Sharp Football Analysis. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bizzuti. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Um, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you.